Now, these statements have uh, eschatological. Everybody say eschatological. I say eschatological. That's basically the, the study of last things. So, really what this is talking about is the study of last things. Because love wins declares that there's been a winner. There's been a winner. So, the game is already over. Love has won. We know that at the end of a game, we say a team won. Like, for example, me, I'm in the basketball, uh, the Atlanta Hawks claiming Jesus' name. No, I'm just kidding, not in Jesus' name. But I want them to win the finals. I want that. It would be insane. But they won't win until it says the Hawks have won. You can't say on game three, because we already know because of what Cleveland did to the Warriors, you can't say when they're up 3-0 that they've won. Not even then. Not even then. You have to say when the score is over, this team has won. So when people say love wins, right, love wins, love has won, they're saying that this is the end. And as a Christian, we have to understand this is an eschatological point. When you and this generation think about the future, you guys may be young, listen, I want everyone to get in the habit of thinking about the future, not in a weird way, but in a good way. Think about what your actions and what the actions of this world will lead to. The domino effect, the cause and effect. Always have prudence. That's what the Bible says. So I want to get everyone here thinking about the future. Always think about the future. What will happen if you do this? Because if you have this kind of mindset where it's like, it is what it is, and you just live life like that, oh man, it's gonna be, it is what it is for a long time. You have to think about what your actions will do. So I want everyone to look to the future because that's what a lot of people are doing. People screaming love wins in Pride Month, they're looking to a future that they feel is more tolerant, more accepting, and more loving. Yet, this is the thing. Who is, who are they more tolerant of? Right? Who's more tolerant? Who are the people that they are tolerant of? Accepting, who are the people accepting? Who are the people not accepted? And who are the loved people and who are the unloved people? We have to really think about that in the future. It's human nature to reject and to accept. Matter of fact, even discrimination is a part of nature. Discrimination is not innately evil. Think about this. If you were, let's say, in World War II, or let's say it's right after World War II, you know, Germany has lost. I hope all you guys have been taught in school about World War II, German, Nazi Germany. I hope they're still teaching that. I know it's been COVID and you guys are in classes just like not even paying attention, but I hope some of y'all learned that. But there were these evil people called the Nazis that they killed people, right, like Jews, like blacks, like gays, like uh, people that had disabilities. They killed them. They killed them because they were not part of this thing called the Aryan race. Now, they discriminated, and they discriminated according to their own standard, and it was evil. However, now, if a Nazi who participated in the murder of, of millions of people, right, who maybe not, not right there, right, like not hand-to-hand, but he gave orders to kill Jews, he, he uh, executed people, if he now comes to your door saying, this is what I want, I want to be able to live here, I want to be able to find refuge in here because I'm a war criminal, I have these thoughts and these ideas and people don't like me for that, can I stay here? 
How many of you know the right thing to do would not be take him as a refuge because many, uh, not, many Nazis actually fled the country and they moved to places like Mexico, places like the Dominican Republic, uh, lots of places in the Caribbean. That's why you actually see sometimes more light-skinned Puerto Ricans too because what Germans migrated there, Polish people migrated there. So we have to understand that. But how many of you would know that if that person came to your door, you wouldn't be very, you, no one would be like, oh, man, you're so tolerant, you're so accepting, you're so loving if you welcome this Nazi as a refuge. You would actually have to be discriminatory of him. You would have to discriminate. That means you would have to show him disfavor or dislike because of who he is. How many know discrimination in that sense would not be wrong? But I want you to think about this. Discrimination will never go away. Never, because it is actually not an evil thing innately. When we talk about a future, and when a person that is pro-gay rights talks about a future, I want to help you understand what they say by, we want to get rid of homophobics. Because if you look up the definition of homophobia, right, what it basically means has nothing to do with a phobia. It has nothing to do with a fear of homosexuals. It happens to do with a dislike or a uh, disapproval. And that word disapproval is a big thing. If you disapprove of a homosexual lifestyle, you are by definition homophobic, according to their standards, according to what they're saying. If you disapprove of someone claiming to be a man when they are a woman, you are now transphobic. If you disapprove or you disagree. Now, when we fast forward 30 years from now, okay, and now you're seeing if you disapprove or disagree as a homophobic, and homophobia is now something that is criminalized, you are going to be discriminated against. That's how it is. So I want to let you know that everyone, when they look to the future, there is a form of discrimination happening. When we look even more to the future... Jesus is going to discriminate. Jesus himself is going to separate the goats and the sheep. He himself is going to separate those who belong to him and those who belong to Satan. He's going to discriminate against those who do wrong and those who do right. He's going to discriminate against those who have said, I trust you, Jesus, against those who have said, I trust myself, Jesus. So we have to understand is that when we look to a future, we will never, until Jesus makes his final judgment, see a life without discrimination. And this is everyone's worldview. This is everyone's worldview. It doesn't matter if you say you're tolerant, accepting, and loving. You're looking to a future where those who are intolerant, who are not accepting, who are not loving, will be casted out. Everyone is looking to a future that is like that. You see, but this is the thing. When we talk about love wins, we are looking to the future, but we're also looking to the present and the past because what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago is a timeless thing. It is an eternal 
thing. It is something that will happen and be in effect for eons, for ages. Matter of fact, when we look upon Jesus, we'll say, there is the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth, and we give him the glory he deserves. So Jesus' death, even though it was 2,000 years ago, it is as new, it is as fresh, and it is as relevant as it was then. So when we talk about love wins, Jesus on the cross, he won. See, Jesus on the cross, he won. And then Jesus, when he comes back, he's going to tell you why, won. So we have to understand love wins. That is so true. But here's the thing. The only person who knows love is the one who knows Jesus. The only one who knows true love is the one who truly knows Jesus. And love is not always accepting. Love is not always tolerant. And we have to understand this, that love is always, right, always according to God. Always according to God. So understand this. When they, people say love wins, I'm in agreement. Love does win. Love has won, and love will win. If we go to John chapter 15, 13. Now, when people talk about love wins, here's the thing. What is love? And I talked about how love is not sexuality. I talked about last week, how, uh, yes, last week, about what love is not really. Love is not sexuality, and we got that, past. Love is not or has nothing to do with, with sex, or anything gender-related, has nothing to do with that. Matter of fact, we see Jesus, and we'll get back to this passage, I'm going to read it, and then we'll get back to it, but Jesus says this, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love, everybody say greater love. Everybody say greater love. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friend's if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. So no greater love has one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. We have to understand what Jesus is saying here. But first, let's get to what love is. You see, because people will say, love is love. Love is love, right? When you see a man frolicking with a man, wearing his dress, because that's a new thing nowadays, is a man wearing his dress because of Harry Styles, right? I'm not going to go in on him, but, right, he's wearing his dress. He's, he's not gay, right? That's what I've heard is he's not gay, right? But he just likes wearing dresses. But when you see a picture of a man maybe dressed as a woman, holding the hand of another man that claims to be a woman, even though he's still dressed like a man, what is the big thing that is happening? Love is love. When you see a man, another man, and three kids together, you see the title, love is love. When you see a man, a man, and another man, which I have seen, in marriage together, what do you see? Love is love. When you see a woman and a woman, you see love is love. Now, where are they getting this idea of love? What is their idea of love? We have to make sure we set the boundaries on love. We have to set the boundaries on love because people want to make it seem like love has no boundaries. Right now, Brian, if you were to say to TJ, oh, man, I love TJ. Man, he's a cool dude. I'm going to take his money because I know he loves me, and I love him too, right? That's our relationship, right? That wouldn't be love, but that's kind of crazy. Why would Brian take his money? Okay, Let's say right now you're in a relationship, 
okay? Or maybe your sister's in a relationship. Let's stick with that. And the boy that he's dating, or she's dating, forces himself on her because he loves her so much. We will, oh, oh, that's not love. But he's pleading, I love her. I love her. I just want to be with her. But she's pushing him off her. That's not love. That's not love. So, so you'll be like, well, that's not consensual. But still, you're putting now a boundary on love. You see, everybody does it. Everybody does it. Everybody puts a boundary on love. Love is not love. That's weird. That's like saying air is air. That's like something that your child would say. If, you're, if, you, uh, if you guys have been around like five-year-olds or six-year-olds ever, they constantly ask these like difficult questions, right? Like they'll be like, Daddy, and you probably had this, where do my thoughts come from? And then you'll be like, your thoughts come from your mind. Where does my mind come from? How, how is that made up? Well, it's made of your thoughts. Well, so my thoughts are my thoughts and my mind comes from my mind? Yes, son. You see, it, it, the, the five-year-old, the five-year-old would not be, would not settle for that answer. They would continue to ask. So why is it that when someone says love is love, we don't do the same thing? Well, what is love? What is love? Here, the scripture makes it really clear on what love is. Go to 1 John 1, 16. 1 John 1, 16 gives a very simple answer as to what love is. It makes it real clear. 1 John 16, 1, 16. 1 John 1, 16. It says that God is love. God is love. If uh, 1 John 1 16, one second, I think I might have wrote it wrong. 1 John. I want you guys to see this. All right, the person who, Marco, can you find that verse? First John, it's not First John one sixteen. Four sixteen. Mm, there you go. First John, four sixteen. Happens, happens. But it says on First John four sixteen that God is love. And the one who resides in love resides in God. And God resides in him. So this is important to understand. When we think about love, we kind of think of, you know, Valentine's Day, you know, flowers. We think about doing the works, right, impressing someone. We think about a lot of things. But here, here's what the truth of the matter is, is that God is love. This is important because if God is love, this gives the definition of love to God, not the definition of love to man. Understand that God now, his character, who he is, that defines what love is. Understand that. What we have today is a perversion of that. It's a distortion of that. They try to take what they have grown to think love is, and they try to say, that's what God is. 
We have people that have never read a verse in the Bible tell you or me that you're wrong about God. Come on, God is love. I thought God was a loving God. Why would he tell someone they're wrong? Think about that now in a human relationship. Is that now when your mom says you stink, take a bath, is she now wrong? You haven't bathed in three days. She's not wrong. She just can't breathe. You understand that? So God being love, that is important to understand because if we now say love is love, we're now trying to figure out what love is, defining it ourselves, and then saying, yeah, that's love. That's love. How many of you know how to use a map? Not a GPS, a map. If, if I was to give one of you guys a map, had nothing on it, no street names, had no state names, and I told you right now, I want you to find the capital of Arkansas. I, and I'm like, okay, you can get five of your friends. None of them know, her, know how to use a map at all. And they're like, yeah, well, it's right here. Well, how? Well, man, that just looks like Arkansas. Have you ever seen Arkansas? No, but I feel it. You know, that's Arkansas. You, you don't know how to use a map. So now we're trying to do this thing with love. Love is a lot more abstract. It's a lot less tangible than what we would consider Arkansas. We can't grab it, right? So we have to think about it. We have to feel it. Well, when someone looked at me and said, I look good today, I was like, dang, thank you. I'm like, that's love right there, right? That's got to be love. Okay, so if someone compliments you, that's love. All right? All right, so we're trying to figure out what love is. When someone now has sex with another person, like, well, I felt really good. I felt this adrenaline. I, I felt something I've never felt before. I think I'm in love, right? They're like, okay, well, then that means having sex, that's love. When they get accepted into a group, after not being accepted to the group, they're like, wow, I felt really good being accepted into this group. That must be love. So we have to understand is that people are just trying to figure out what love is. But this is what we have to know is that love, its definition is eternally attached to the character of God. Who God is, that's what love is. You can't escape it. You can't get around it. The selfless, sacrificial God that we worship is the definition of love. We can't get around it. If what you say love is doesn't look like God, then it's not love. If what you say God, love is is exactly the opposite of what God says love is, then guess what? That's not love. So when we think about what love is, we have to understand God is love. God is love. There's no way around it. Now, if God, right, if we know God is love, a lot of people would get angry with that because they know God is holy. You see, because God being holy is a big deal. Holiness means set apart. This is not no backslidden, uh, high school, making out in the locker room type love. This is not that I'm, I'm sleeping with your best friend and you type love. This is not I got three people that I'm talking to at the same time type love. This is not I'm broken and I need a therapist type love. That's not the type of love we're talking about right now. We're not talking about that. 
So when people say, if God does not accept me how I am, he can't be a loving God, you have to understand the foolishness of this. This is actually an evil statement. It's a blasphemous statement. Because what you're saying now is this. What you're saying is, you are the ruler of God. You are the source of what good is and what love is. You are the condition which God now has to bend to in order to worship you. Do you understand that when people say, God, if he doesn't accept me how I am, how I am, then he can't love me. And he can't be true. Then he can't be a loving God. What they're saying is, if God doesn't meet my moral standard, then he's not good enough for me. Basically, if God doesn't worship me how I want to be worshipped, then he's no God for me. Do you understand that what this generation is saying? And there's no way, there's no other word to describe it other than pride. Do you understand what this month is? They like to say pride is just them celebrating who they are. No, I want you to know and understand pride is deeply anti-Christ. Oh, it's deeply anti-Christ. It's deeply anti-God. It's deeply anti-Bible. It's deeply anti-Orthodox. That means regular Christianity. It wants to be Christian at times. Don't get me wrong. There are many people that they want to hold on to this Christian identity. They want to hold on to it. And listen, I feel for them. Listen, I want them to hold on to it too completely. And I want it to hold on to them. But here's the thing. It's pride for you to say, God, you need to change in order for you to worship me. How dare we, the clay, tell the potter that? How dare we, the creation, tell the creator that? That, God, I'll serve you when I feel like it and when you change to worship me. Your life is but vapor, yet you're telling the eternal one, the holy one, the one who created all things, change. When God says to repent, you tell it right back to him, you repent, God. You see, this is pride. Is it no wonder, is it no wonder that when we simply say things in the Bible, we have to now all of a sudden feel uncomfortable? Because we know there's going to be an attack against it. Oh, man, you, you, you live for Jesus? Or you, you're a Christian? You're a bigot? Dude, if you hang around people and they don't know what you believe and you believe what I'm saying, dude, I'm telling you, you're kind of a weasel. Because this is what you're doing. You're putting on a front so people don't know who you are. Because you know that they'll feel a certain type of way once they find out. You're trying to weasel in their life, putting on a mask. I want to let you know you're in pride. Listen, pride month this month okay, that they want to celebrate is correctly named. It is correctly named. There is no greater name to apply this month that has so many Christians saying it other than pride. Listen, God does not need to accept us at all. God doesn't need to accept us. He doesn't need to see us with approval. God doesn't even need to give us a glance or a moment of his thoughts. Yet he does. You see, when we now say, hey, God can't be loving because he doesn't accept people the way they are, what we're saying right now is that we, okay, we, we're in the position of God to now where we can judge him. I want you guys to understand this. You're not the judge of God. 
You're not the judge of good, and you're not the judge of love. These definitions and these ideas have existed way before you're even a sperm cell, or a sperm or a cell, or a bunch of DNA. Before your mom and your dad were even born, before, you know, the egg met the sperm, everything, all of that, these thoughts were talked about. You are literally just but a blimp passing through time. The only worth that you have has nothing to do with what's in your pants. Do you understand or who you sleep with? Get that. Get that. The only worth you have is this, that God loved you first. That God loved you first and he made you in his image. And if people have a problem with that, well, guess what? Wait 67 years, I won't be here. You won't have to hear him anymore. Too bad you won't be here either. That's how short and meaningless life is when you just focus on genitalia rather than the creator. So understand this. God is love, and God is a loving God no matter what people say. God is a loving God no matter what people say. It doesn't matter if you are saying, hey, man, well, I'm a drunkard, and I'm going to go to church. It doesn't matter if you're saying I'm living with my girlfriend and my boyfriend, and they all want God to accept them. He doesn't. He doesn't accept them like that completely. Understand that is that God accepts sinners, but he doesn't let them stay sinners. Understand that. And that's what you have to understand. Saying to people now that God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin is not going to pass for a lot of you Christians. You see, because people don't want God to no longer just hate the sin. They want him, or hate the sin. He wants them to love the sin and the sinner. So if you think now just saying, well, God hates the sin and, and loves the sinner uh, is a good enough answer for these people now, I want you to be completely, cha- like, change your way of thinking. That is not a good enough answer now. They want you to say God loves the sin. God loves the sin. Matter of fact, God celebrates the sin. No, this is pride here. If anyone tells you any of these things, they're doing exactly what their month says. Pride. Pride. And if any person claims to be a teacher of this, dude, go in. I want you to understand people that are trying to brainwash your friends, brainwash your family, these, these people that are in position of authority where they can easy, easily manipulate, I want you to let, go in. Rebuke them. Rebuke them harshly. That's what the scripture says. But if you have a friend that is dealing with homosexuality, this is what you need to do. Show them that there is no greater love than what Jesus did. If you have friends, I'm not telling you not to tell gay people they're going to hell because that would be sinful. We don't condemn anyone. I'm thankful that when I was a pervert addicted to pornography, no one told me you're going to hell because you're a pervert. I'm thankful for the grace of God, and everyone else should be thankful. They should be. If we can go back to John chapter 15, verse 13. Listen, there is no greater love than what Jesus did for us. The act of laying down your life for another, there's no greater love than that. When we talk about love and we try to skip the gospel, we pervert love. We pervert love. We have to try to find something that can fit or replace that, and it's impossible. Do you not know that there's a reason why, even though most of our uh, politicians, Republicans, and Democrats, even though they're not believers in God, they're not followers of Jesus, but they're not taking away the idea of religion from the Constitution, 
Do you know why? Because there's no replacement. There's no replacement. See, there's no replacement for God. You can't find a substitution that can fit. If you're an atheist, you cannot find enough people to get around to think together to figure out what's morality, morally good or morally damnable without God. Even the atheist, he's borrowing from God. Matter of fact, you'll hear a lot of people, when they never read the Bible, they'll say, God is love. Where do you think they got that from? The Bible. They'll say, well, and then you'll bring a verse that's right after that verse, and they'll say, well, you trust the Bible. How can you trust the Bible? Bro, you're trusting the Bible right now. You just told me God is love. Where do you get that? Because the Aztecs didn't think God was love. No, they didn't. They didn't think God was love. They thought God was the son. And you would have to take a baby up there, an innocent baby, and then you would have to cut his chest open and then take his heart out. Oh, and the criminals, they needed to be sacrificed too. The innocent and the criminal had to be sacrificed. That's not what, God is love, but that's not what the Greek mythologies teach. That's not what they teach. See, these gods that the Greeks worshipped, they constantly were dipping on people. They were constantly saying, I don't love you. Matter of fact, that was a part of the relationship. The gods hate us, so let's make sure we do stuff so they don't kill us. So where are they getting that from when they say God is love? They're getting it from the Bible. I want to let you know when people talk about God in this country, they're not talking about any other God. Even Muslims, I have Muslim friends that say God is love. And I'm like, bro, do you not even know what the, uh, what the Quran says about your, your God? He's not love. He's not love. So everyone in this country, when speaking about God, automatically talks about God. And when we are talking about God, then we, it would be correct now to, to go to him to find out more about this love. And Jesus says here, there's no greater love, no greater love. Everybody say no greater. No greater love than this. And what is this that he's talking about? He's alluding to the gospel. You see, when he's talking to his disciples, right, they don't know that. They don't know that. And I want you guys to be encouraged. You guys know this now. You guys know that Jesus died on the cross for you. You know it. They didn't know it at this time that Jesus was going to die. But imagine if they did. And when they did find out, when Jesus resurrected and he explained to them all the things he was saying and everything clicked, their lives changed. You see, that's what the gospel does. The perfect, loving, the Only the true, eternal God becoming a man and laying down his life for sinners, for the enemies that he was coming to save, killing him, but laying his life down for them. Matter of fact, the Bible says this is foolish. This is foolishness that God would do this. Whenever you talk to Muslims, they say, why would God ever become a man? Why would God feel our pain? See, they don't understand the love that God showed on the cross through Jesus. You see, there's no greater love than the love that was shown on the cross, than the love that was shown on the resurrection, and the love that has been shown when he gave you his spirit. You see, because what that shows about God is that God loves us so much that he came into this world, a world full of sin. And understand, what did I say? God is love, but he's holy love. 
What was holy came neighborly to what was unholy and dwelt among us, lived among us. Some of you guys won't even sit next to the people that are opposite fans of the sports teams, the people that like opposite makeup brands, people that like uh, different people than you. You don't even want to sit next to them, people that dress differently. But God was willing to be next to people that were completely opposite of him. Not just opposite, but against him. That's the love that God showed when he came and he died on the cross. And the love that he shows in the resurrection is this, is that as he resurrected, he's willing to share that life with those who now are dead in their sins. So Jesus, he's showing his love. He's giving his love. Love has won. Love will have the final say because God has the final say. If everyone can stand up, please, and if you guys can uh, come as altar workers, and if the worship team could come up as well. Listen, the gospel shows the love of God, and we should remember that every day because there are some things you ought to do with that love. There's some things you ought to do with that love, Fernando. Some, do, some love. You got to show that love. You got to know that love, Lydia. You got to know that love because there are things you're supposed to do with that love. We can go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 48. This is in closing. You see, we have to love those who hate us. That means your enemy. You got to love your enemy. I don't care if your enemy is your neighbor or your brother. I don't care if your enemy is your, your, uh, your, the person that's your teacher or your classmate. I don't care if your enemy is someone that you barely know or someone that you know quite well. You are to love them. You love those and pray for those who persecute you. And you greet people. That means you're hospitable. To those that are outside your circle. And you have to be this in order to be a child of God. It says here, this is Jesus' own words. Everybody say, Jesus speaking. So don't get mad if you don't like what's being said. If you want to disobey this, that's you. You want to be separated from God. That's your fault. That's what you want to do. But this right here is radical love. This right here is love that you can't do without God. You have heard it was said, love your neighbor. How many of you have heard you got to love your family? How many of you have heard that? Raise your hand if you've heard that. Some of y'all haven't heard that. I'm sorry. We'll do a house visit. How many of you heard love your friends? Right? Yeah. You got to love your friends. How many of you heard you got to watch out for these snakes? Right? Hey, keep your circle real close. Right? Hey, don't hang around too many people. My dad used to tell me friends were like a dollar in your pocket. They're here and they're gone the moment. Basically telling me my friends were my enemies. And he was partially true. You got to make some good friends. That's the truth. However, this is what Jesus says. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what they heard. And that's what a lot of us hear. Right? I don't mess with that person. They gossip, man. I don't mess with that person. They're annoying. But Jesus, he says this, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Persecution, that means if they make fun of you, that means if they gossip, if they slander, if they try to hurt you, you pray for them. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. 
and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Even the tax collectors, the tax collectors were those corrupt dudes, right? It's almost like uh, the person who takes from their own people type person. And if you only greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans, the unbelievers, the people who worship all these other gods, don't they do that? Then he says something real harsh, right, real harsh, man. This is something that's not what this generation says, right? How many of you ever said, I'm not perfect, right? How many of y'all ever used that as excuse? I'm only human. How many? I've used that. Well, I'm not perfect. I'm not. I'm only human. Yeah, sure, I scream, but I'm only human. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect. That's a high expectation. You think Jesus was just saying that just to, to get us in a rat race, just to get us, like, feeling bad about ourselves? Jesus, you know I'm not perfect. Why would you tell me that? Well, this is what, there's a little, there's a thing we have to understand. Where he's, Jesus is not talking about like how well you do math, okay? Want to get that right? Jesus is not talking about how well you can speak, how orderly you are, and, and the way you know you're, you got your agenda all planned out. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about your writing ability or reading ability. Jesus is talking about your obedience. Because this is what it's all about. When we look at this passage and we say, love your enemy, this is what, Pride Month, right, if you're an enemy of the Pride Month, they're not going to love you. They're not going to love you. If you were to ever tell those people that I disagree with your lifestyle, I want you to understand that they'd see that as hate. And when you hate them, according to them, they're, all, they're trained not to hate you. As I'm teaching you now to love them, they're being taught to hate you. And I want you to understand this. If you hate them back, you're not a child of God. Do you understand that? Being perfect and being a child of God, it's all connected to love. If you're able to love your enemy, you've been changed by the love of God. If you are unable to love your enemy, you don't know the love of God. And love has not won over your heart yet. So this is what I want to challenge you guys to do. I, 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 want you, I want to challenge you to love those who hate you, to pray for those who persecute you, to greet people, be hospitable. That means if you see someone on the outside, whether they're part of the LGBT community, whether they're not, whether they're a stranger, of course, stranger danger, if you're like 12, don't go up to some random 60-year-old man, okay? I want to make sure I'm not telling you to do that. But you see another youth, invite them in. Invite them in. Love those who do, you don't know. This is how you're going to be a child of God. It's through this. Everyone can close their eyes and bow their heads. If you're confused about your sexuality, this altar calls for you. We've been talking about it all month, and I want you to know that even though this sermon series is over, the truths that I've stated are still going to be there. They're still going to be there. You're still going to have to deal with this. Whether you're living in a sinful relationship with the same sex or the opposite sex, you're still going to have to deal with this. So deal with it now at the altars. We have someone that will pray with you, that will talk with you, that you can ask your questions to, your doubts to. 
And if you don't know the love of God, if you don't know the love of God, this is time for you to know it, to know Jesus. And this is the last thing, and I really want you guys to think about this one. Have you been loving your enemy? Have you been loving your enemy, those who hate you, those you feel have done you wrong? Have you been loving them? Have you been loving them? Have you been showing them hospitality? Have you been praying for them? Have you been going out your way to say, God, I love this person? Or are you cursing them back? Are you persecuting them back? Are you saying, God, I hate this person? As Melanie sings, I want you guys to pray this through. I want you to really think about it. Have you been hating, have you been hating those who hate you? Have you been cursing those who curse you? Or have you been loving them? Ask God, I want to know your heart, Lord, for those people that, that hate me, for those people that hate you, God. Maybe ask God, God, show us your heart for the gay community. Show us your heart for those living in sin with their boyfriend and girlfriend. God, show us your heart for those who are perverse, Lord. Show us your heart, God, for those that don't know you, for my enemies, Lord. Show me your heart, God. Uh, pray out and you're dismissed to the foyer. Listen, I want to let you know that the, the, the passage we just read, it doesn't get more tolerant than that. If anyone tells you that Christians are intolerant, I want, to, I want you to show them that passage. Do you know how Christianity was spread through the, the Europe and through wars? It was, it was spread through the bloodshed of Christians. You see, Christians were killed, and as they were being killed and persecuted, they loved their neighbor. They loved their enemy. Jesus on the cross, the greatest example. Father, forgive them for they not know what they do. You see, if anyone tries to lie to you about Christianity being some bigot cult religion, I want you to just slap them metaphorically in the face with this, this verse. So not literally, but just put it right there in their face for them to see. I pray for you. And then, I love you. And then put some action behind it. 
Father, I thank you, Lord, because there is no greater love than the love seen on the cross. There is no greater love, Lord. God, we praise you, Lord. God, we give you adoration, Lord. God, we give you glory, God, because the love that you've shown us on the cross, it's greater than any imitation that we see on this world. It's greater than any example that we see in this world, Lord. What a gift. What a privilege, Lord. We don't have to rely on silly allegories. We don't have to rely on silly examples. We don't have to rely on fickle relationships, God. We get to rely on the Son of God. We get to rely on you, Lord. I thank you, God. And I pray for everyone in this place that we would know your love. That, God, you would win in our heart, Lord. That all the sin that we've tried to carry, all the burdens we've tried to hold, all the confusion we've tried to sort out, Lord, I pray right now for healing. God, I rebuke the enemy in Jesus' name right now, Lord. Deliver them from the evil one. Deliver us from this evil one, God. The lies and the confusion that the enemy has tried to purport to us, God. I pray right now, Lord, that we would be delivered into your hands, God. I pray that every soul in this place would have assurance, God, that they know your love. They know that you love them. They know that they're cared for. And they know that they're able to follow your commands. Lord, I pray right now that you be glorified in this whole time. Not just this altar call that just happened, Lord, but in the fellowship in their lives. I pray that you would be on their mind, God. Spirit of God, just wake them up, Lord. Wake them up, Lord. Fill them up, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're dismissed. But listen, if you still need prayer and you're waiting for everyone to go, this would be the time. This would be the time. We'll still be here. Worshiping the Lord.